Well, good morning and Merry Christmas, Emmanuel. I am so happy to be with you in spirit today on the third day of Christmas as we continue to celebrate the fulfillment of the promise of God in Jesus. You may be seated if you haven't already seated yourselves. Today's gospel story tells what happened to the Holy Family when they went to the temple for the first time after Jesus' birth. Mary and Joseph encounter in the temple someone who has been waiting much longer to wait their son than even they themselves have. This man is going to confirm some things they already know about their son, and then he's going to give them a heads up about some things they don't know yet. He will confirm for them that the birth of their son is the fulfillment of a spectacular promise made long ago. And he's going to give them a heads up that this amazing and glorious fulfillment will involve some pain for them personally. Their encounter there in the temple reminds me of a conversation I had several years ago. I think it was about eight years ago when I first tried to articulate a similar experience where there is a mighty act of God that somehow brings both tremendous joy, relief, and peace, and yet is accompanied by significant pain. This was a three-way conversation about what it's like when God answers some big requests. And I remember where I was on that day in the entryway of my house. Picture the rug there. My friend Rhonda was telling me about how she and her husband, who had lived in the city their whole lives, had been hoping and praying and planning for 10 years to move out of the city. They really wanted a rural setting with a lot of land for their kids. And financial reasons, this had never been possible. But they had been faithfully petitioning God for years, and now, through a series of minor miracles, God had provided a large parcel of land in central Illinois, orchestrated a major job change that made the move possible for them, and Rhonda was full of joy and gratitude. She was also somewhat nonplussed and taken aback because the way that things were playing out, they needed to move into that house and live there for many, many months before the house could get any electricity or indoor plumbing. (laughs) Clearly, this was an answer to long-cherished hopes, but also one that included some unexpected hardships and sacrifice. And then I was also telling my friend what God was doing in my life at that time. I had been part of a group of people who had been praying for God to plant an Anglican church, gospel-believing, Bible-believing church in Uptown, and after many years, God was moving rapidly to make that happen. There was so much relief and joy and satisfaction in that season, all the emotions that we expect to experience in the fulfillment of long-cherished promises. But it was a deeply unsettling season as well. A reality that had only existed in imagination was being made manifest in real life. And the path to a church that exists in real life was much bumpier and more nerve-wracking than just the idea of a church. It involved some pain and confusion that I had not anticipated. Now, the third person in the conversation was unseen and silent, but Rhonda and I were interacting with her in our thoughts. We were talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and wondering what Mary's experience of giving birth 
to the Christ was like. When an angel from heaven announced that she had been chosen to bear the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and after Mary sang her prophetic song about how God would scatter the prouds in the thoughts of their hearts and exalt those of humble estate, people like her, was Mary discombobulated nine months later to find herself not only still poor and unnoticed, but now also 90 miles from her home and extended family, giving birth in borrowed quarters where animals lived, alone with her husband, and no angels in sight. Jesus came to seek and to save and to grant us peace. And the facts, the realized promise of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection are miracles that we have built our lives on. And we celebrate that. We celebrated that three days ago. We are celebrating it now. But not all of our pain in this life departed at Christmas. Today's word from Scripture guides us in how to enter more fully into the joy of, and peace of Jesus this Christmas, even if there is still pain involved. Now, I believe that one of the deep consolations that God provides is how we can learn from the experiences of our brothers and sisters as they are recorded in Scripture. We're going to focus on verses 25 through 35, and we're going to look closely at how the lives of our sister Mary and our brother Simeon intertwined with peace and pain as they embrace the promised one, our Savior Jesus. Now, Mary, the mother of Jesus, you have met elsewhere in Scripture. As an ordinary peasant girl, she was also a faithful and devout Jew, and she, with her people, had been longing for the promised Savior of Israel, the Lord's Christ, who had come to set things right. And then God revealed to her that she would have a special connection to the promised one. Most favored among women, she would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, conceive and bear a child who would be the salvation of Israel. She would, in fact, carry within her body the promised one of God. And for that reason, the church gave Mary a special nickname, Theotokos, God-bearer, because she bore God incarnate in her womb. And then here, in Luke's gospel, we meet Simeon as well. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This is the only passage Simeon is mentioned in Holy Scripture, and we can infer from the text and we learn from tradition that Simeon was an old man. He was probably at least in his 80s and possibly much older than that. But even this short text reveals much about Simeon and particularly much that he shares in common with Mary. For example, we meet Simeon in the temple, but Simeon is not a priest. Like Mary, Simeon's a regular guy whose life has been shaped by a promise. Second, although he is a regular guy, Simeon, like Mary, is described as righteous and devout. And this is Bible speak for saying that Simeon lived in a way that prioritized justice toward his fellow human beings and prioritized holiness toward God in his personal life. All areas of his life were given over to God 
and to others in love. We also know that Simeon's life, like Mary's, was changed forever by the way his life connected him to Jesus. Simeon is described as waiting for the consolation of Israel. The people of Israel had been waiting for the coming of Messiah, the promised anointed one, since the time of the prophets, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. Now, the promise of God was given to a whole people, the whole nation of Israel, but a nation and people are comprised of individual particular persons. So when we say that a nation longs or a people longs for something, we are necessarily thinking of speaking of individual particular persons. And in this case, in addition to the promise given to the whole people of Israel, there had been given a specific and particular promise to this one specific and particular man, Simeon. God had said to Simeon, basically, the biggest and most joyful event in all of human history will happen in your lifetime. The life of the best and most precious person ever to be born will overlap with your life, and you will meet him before you die. What a promise to carry with you in your life. And everyone who carries the promises of God in his or her heart is a type of God-bearer. Every believer who hopes and longs for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness, whose life is shaped by a life that comes out of that holy promise, is a God-bearer. Simeon, then, was a God-bearer as well. But Simeon's nickname from the church is not attached to his lifetime of waiting. It recognizes instead the moment of fulfillment. Simeon's nickname, given by the church, is Theodokos, God-receiver, because we meet Simeon at the pinnacle of his life where he literally receives the Son of God in the flesh and holds him in his arms. Verse 27, he, Simeon, came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. The promise that shapes Simeon's message is taking shape in reality. The Holy Spirit gets Simeon to the right place at the right time when Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus and the brace of pigeons into the temple, and Simeon is able to actually hold the living, breathing flesh and blood fulfillment of the hopes of all mankind in his arms. Simeon blesses the Lord, and like Mary, Simeon's joy at his encounter with God's promised one erupts in a prophetic song. We have that song in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. His song, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not only celebrates the promised one, but it also reveals something new about the salvation he brings. Simeon has been waiting for the consolation of Israel. What he receives is both a tiny, squirming, flesh-and-blood newborn baby and a consolation that is offered to the entire world. This salvation has been prepared in the presence of all peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike, 
And the light that this baby brings is a light for revelation to the Gentiles as well as a glory for the people of Israel. This light will respect, reflect special glory upon the Jews, God's chosen people. But the glorious light will shine out beyond the walls of Jerusalem and light up the dark ignorance of the Gentiles. When Simeon takes up the baby Jesus in his arms, he holds the uncreated eternal light of the universe that shines glory for Israel and the light of truth to the furthest reaches of the heavens and earth. It's a light that is reaching toward you and me this morning. So having blessed God and having sung his joy and wonder over the child in his arms, Simeon now turns and blesses the parents. And then Simeon turns specifically to Mary with a final word from the Lord, some insight into the stir that this baby, her son, will cause. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The light of salvation has come and the anointed one is sent to all, but not all will be willing to receive him. This is the first indication that the long-promised Prince of Peace, though he brings only goodness and light, will through no fault or flaw of his own become a source of discord. The lowly and humble will rise to meet him, but the proud and self-satisfied will turn away from him and fall. Some will receive and embrace salvation with joy. Others will resist and oppose. And then Simeon tells Mary that there is pain ahead for her personally. And the word that he uses for the sword that will pierce her soul, it's a word for a sword that is long and broad and double-edged. The coming of the promised one of God into her life will be a source of deep pain for her. I can't imagine how difficult this must have been for Mary to process. How could she understand how her own soul would be pierced with pain and sorrow? How could this tiny, precious newborn baby, barely more than a month old, cause her pain, especially since she knew that he would grow to be her savior and liberator? This was the prince of peace. Now, some speculate that this pain refers to the grief that Mary will experience as she witnesses the brutal crucifixion of her dear son. But I think there's more to it than that. Some posit instead that it's because Jesus will make choices in his ministry that Mary will find hard to bear. I think this is illustrated by the very next story that Luke tells in his biography of Jesus. The choice of the boy Jesus to remain in the temple, learning about his father, causes his parents, even at that early stage, dismay and distress. This is a choice that angers and upsets Mary. And that was merely the first of many choices Jesus made that were a source of confusion and pain for those who love him. The same is true for us. 
when the promises of God are fulfilled for us, they exceed our expectations in all sorts of directions. Some take us further into peace and joy and rich satisfaction than we could ever imagine. Some catch us off guard in ways that are painful and even offensive. When the promised one of God, the consolation of Israel, came in flesh as baby Jesus, he blew past all previous conceptions of who he would be, how he would act, what he would accomplish. And this is a glorious reality. We, the limited creatures that we are, cannot conceive, nor can we imagine all that God can and will do in pursuit of those he loves and in establishing a kingdom of justice and mercy that will live forever. Jesus fulfills the perfect promise of the Father. All his choices are good and right, and the light of the revelation he brings is true and holy. But the thoughts of our hearts hold pockets of darkness and confusion that react against that light. So when the promised one, Jesus, draws near, there is both pain and peace. The peace is pure Jesus. The pain is the commingling of peace and resistance in us and in the world that surrounds us. I think of it like this. Jesus is pure love, holiness, and peace. But his goodness and truth are so pure that when he enters this fallen world, wherever that pure goodness encounters anything false and dirty, it's like there's a chemical reaction that's set off, a bubbling and a stinging that is a reaction that happens around him. And the pain that we sometimes experience when we encounter Jesus, that pain is not part of him, but is a natural side effect, if you will, that results from the collision of peace with a troubled, troubled world. Jesus makes this sort of distinction clear in his teachings as an adult. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In me, you may have peace. How then can we receive the promised one in a way that brings peace? The pain of our false expectations is unavoidable. The pain of our own sin in the light of revelation is unavoidable. But salvation is here. Our eyes have seen the promised one. Wherever the promised one is, there is peace in his embrace that overcomes the pain and troubles of this world. And the good news of the gospel offered to you and me and everyone is that the promised one has done everything required to save us and bring us peace. All that is left for us to do is receive him, become Theodokos, God receiver. Jesus has done all that is needed, but there's a posture a way of living in relation to the promised one that we can adopt that will expand our capacity for peace, help us bear up under the pain, and the clue for it lies in how both the God-bearer and God-receiver refer to themselves. Let's circle back to Simeon's first recorded words in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. The title, 
that Simeon addresses to God is translated simply as Lord here, but it might better be understood as sovereign Lord or supreme one. It connotes authority, ownership, supremacy. And Simeon is not so much referring to himself as a servant, but actually as a slave. Now, in human-to-human relationships, to be enslaved is horrible. It is degrading, demeaning, dehumanizing. The Jews experienced slavery. The most prominent example is their slavery to Pharaoh, who conquered, enslaved, and exploited them brutally for generations. This was in their history as a people. And God moved mightily to deliver them from the evils of that slavery. But for a Jew, understanding oneself as a slave of God was an entirely different matter. For a Jew, becoming a slave of the Most High One was the ultimate indignity, honor, and privilege. Simeon's whole identity was one of personal service and heartfelt devotion to the king of the universe. And his special task from that king was that of a watcher, a waiter, a man who carried the promise of God in his heart for a lifetime and then lived to see that fulfilled. When the promised one came in fulfillment of that word, Simeon himself was fulfilled filled with satisfaction so complete that Simeon was ready to be dismissed from his earthly life altogether. This way of living as a slave of the Most High was Mary's way as well. You might remember her words to the angel at the Annunciation earlier. Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me According to your word, both Simeon and Mary were servants of God, submitted fully to his word. The God-bearer and the God-receiver had identities rooted in the promised one. They had active expectations of God's movement in their lives. The wonder and glory of Mary and Simeon did not emanate from anything that they did, or accomplished for God. It was not rooted in their holy and devout lives, as wonderful as that is. But their identity and their glory was in how they bore and how they received the promised one of God with lives fully submitted to him. So the effect of the fulfillment of the promise upon Simeon is release, consolation, and peace. He is a man at peace. He is a man consoled. Simeon blesses the Lord with a full heart and announces that he is happy enough to die. We too are living in the era of the promised one. Our hearts are being exposed right now to the glorious light of Jesus. Every one of us can at this moment offer ourselves as humble servants of the Most High God this Christmas. So as we continue to celebrate Christmas, I have two requests to make of you in these next few days. I've often found that the days of Christmastide, particularly those that fall between Christmas Day and New Year's Day, are a great time for reflection. So the first request is to take time 
for reflection. Sometime today, maybe over the next few days, ask the Holy Spirit to visit you with that light of Jesus Christ. Ask him to show you where he is coming into your life with his presence. Maybe take a few notes on what it is like for you to receive him. As slaves of God, as servants of God, in this festive Christmas season, we can ask ourselves, what are the hopes and promises that God is fulfilling in our time? As the light of salvation shines into our hearts and brilliantly illuminates every corner and crevice, where are we receiving him with delight and joy, and where are we resisting or opposing him? You can note any points where his holy presence is causing maybe some stinging or resistance and ask him for help there. He is not surprised or alarmed to find resistance in our hearts. The whole reason he was sent to us at Christmas was to save us from our sin, from any shame that would keep us apart from him. You can write it all out in a list if you want to, the ways that Jesus may be troubling and confusing you this year and offer those things up to him. Ask him to shine his holy, healing light there. Then you can take some time and ask the Holy Spirit to show you the ways that he is making you, even now, into a God-bearer and a God-receiver. What hope or calling has God asked you to carry with him? What promises and what present realities are shaping your life and your identity in service to God? What places or times in your life once were dark and lonely without his presence until the promised one showed up in one way or the other? Where is he coming more fully into your life now with his glorious disruptions? And secondly, if you are so moved, why not write your own little Simeon's song? Simeon's song, as it's translated here, is just one sentence long. It's less than 50 words. And maybe you could write one sentence that testifies to where your eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Simeon became a witness of what the Lord had done, how the Lord had answered his prayers. Where are there answered prayers and songs of joy in your life because Jesus came? And if you're bold enough, you can sing your song to someone else. I don't know what that looks like. If you're bold enough to put it out on our live stream Facebook thing, that's awesome. You can whisper it to a close friend. Um, It's an invitation in this season to respond to the promised one with our own song as we have seen the coming light of the promised one. All the servants of the Lord have a song to sing. Sing as the son of righteousness is rising now with healing and peace in his wings. Now may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.